Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? <clears throat> now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together. Father, as we look in your word this morning, I pray that you would teach us, guide us, help us, convict us. Help us to see that day. For Christ sat on that uh, mountainside, that hillside. His disciples are gathered around him, and there are thousands behind them. As he shares your word and your kingdom with this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today we are concluding our series from season two of The Chosen, and this morning's message is entitled The Path of Blessedness. You may have noticed from the, um, the, the video that we've been showing at the beginning of the sermon every week for this series that the theme of the second season really is the Beatitudes. The, the, it all leads up to the Sermon on the Mount and specifically to the Beatitudes and so we're going to be looking at that this morning. This morning's message is entitled, The Path of Blessedness. Three chapters in the Bible cover the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And it is structured in three parts, like a three-point sermon, a good Baptist sermon, where Jesus contrasted the, his kingdom uh, against the false teachings of the religious leaders of the day, the, the Pharisees in particular, and there were probably a few present for this sermon. The Beatitudes are about right and wrong. They are very pragmatic. They deal with issues and problems and temptations that you and I face every day here in the 21st century. It is just as relevant to us as it was to them. Every Beatitude starts with the words, blessed are. This word means blessedness or joy. Uh, that is, whatever he says, whatever he means when he says blessed is a good thing. I, I shouldn't have to say that, but it is deeply in contrast to what he says after blessed are. So these were startling words. And I've always told you this whenever I talk about the, the Sermon on the Mount. I assure you, for 20 minutes or so during the length of the Sermon on the Mount, people sat out there in shock. It was a shock and awe moment. He dropped theological bombs on them. And they were stunned right from the very beginning in all of these. And we'll look at this. Blessed are those who mourn. 
What is that? They've never heard that before. What is he talking about? And all of them are that way. They don't seem to, to have any connection with blessedness. And he's trying to set it right, he's trying to set the kingdom straight and help them to understand that what a lot of people call blessedness actually isn't blessedness at all. What, God, what does God offer for us? What is, what is that relationship like? What can we expect as we come close to God? Blessed are. You have to understand that happiness, as you and I understand it, first of all, is an English word, not a Hebrew word. It's an English word. And I know we can translate this as happiness. I don't really, uh, uh, no offense, I don't really agree with those translators that translate this as happiness. Happiness is something that begins in us. It's a state of mind, a state of being, a choice that we make. And you can be happy, at least for a short time, as an atheist, blessedness does not start with us. It, it is a gift from God. Blessedness comes from God and is directed into us. So when you talk about that's a blessing, that means God had something to do with it. So it's not just a philosophy. It's a theology, a doctrine of God's connection to us. And what God finds of value and blessedness is the result. So listen closely to what Jesus is trying to tell us here. There are nine Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness, and all those who are insulted and slandered for the sake of Christ. Those are the Beatitudes in a nutshell. I want to spend just a couple of minutes taking a whirlwind view through these nine Beatitudes. First, we are blessed when we are spiritually in need. Excuse me, we are blessed when we realize our spiritual need. That should be a better way of saying it. We're blessed when we realize our spiritual need. In chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus begins by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, a great contrast here to the thinking of the world, the word poor is there, and we don't ever think of the word poor as something enviable. You didn't wake up this morning thinking, woohoo, I don't have a nickel to my name. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor means helpless or poor or needy or distressed, or it's a reference to a beggar or a pauper. Again, this is upside down. Most times we consider people blessed who have a nice house and a nice car and they have lots of money. But that's not what he's talking about here at all. He says they're poor. Also, I want you to notice this. This is very important. Jesus does not say, blessed are the Jews, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what they wanted him to say. That's what they expected him to say. That's probably what the guy before him and the guy after him said. That's what the Pharisees would say. You guys are Jews. Everybody he was talking to were Jews. He says, you, he could have said, you guys are Jews. Blessed are you. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. These Romans, these Gentiles, other people, they're not God's chosen people. We are a sermon that they hear every Saturday. They expected to hear from Christ, but he doesn't mention Jews here. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This statement was shocking 
Who are the poorest people that you have ever met? It's rhetorical. Don't answer. I watch, uh, by the way, if you, if you are the poorest person you know, you need to get out more. <laughs> because there are a lot of poor people. There are a billion or more that are much poorer than you. Probably three or four billion people in the world are poorer than you. I watched the news this weekend of the flood of people that are coming across the border into Texas and, or at least trying to come across the border. In Del Rio alone, there are over 14,000 people right now trying to get across, hoping to migrate into the United States. Now, politics and economics aside, none of them are rich. None of them uh, hopped off their yacht or got out of their limo at the border. Most of them literally have nothing. And again, there are hundreds of millions or billions in our world like that. I doubt you will see any of those people at Del Rio under that bridge complaining about their manicure or uh, what their therapist told them last week or the medications that they're on aren't quite right or that their steak wasn't cooked right at salt grass. Don't talk about that because they're poor. You and I have an ideal about what poor is. They're poor. Literally, the clothes on their back. I've been to the Philippines and India and a number of places in the world that there are many people like that. He says, blessedness comes when you and I realize that we are like that, spiritually speaking. We're in poverty. We're poor in spirit. We, we're, we're not we're not all that, spiritually speaking. We're not all there. Now, a lot of the people that he was preaching to thought that they had arrived spiritually. Certainly the religious leaders thought they had it going on spiritually, that they were filthy rich spiritually. They didn't need a thing. But Jesus knew they were the most impoverished group possible. We need God. Now we live in a world that doesn't believe that or has forgotten it. Part of the reason for our revival, if not the main reason, is for us to remember that we need God. As a world, we need God. As a nation, we desperately need God. As a community in Azel, we need God. And you and I at First Baptist Church, we need God. If you're watching online this morning, you need God. You may ignore it, you may deny it, you may even resent it, but the reality is we were designed by God to need him. And we need him. Every hour we need him. We need God's mercy. We need his help. We need his forgiveness that is offered through Jesus Christ. We need God. We didn't know which direction to take. We don't know what to do or where, we, or where to go. We are like sheep without a shepherd apart from God. We need God. Secondly, he says we are blessed when we mourn. We're blessed when we mourn. In Matthew 5, 4, it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And again, I assure you, people were sitting out there going, what? What did he say? I thought he said mourn. That's just crazy. Is he on drugs? Mourn? How could you be blessed when you mourn? What is he talking about? This means to grieve or to mourn or to have sorrow. He's talking about the right kind of sorrow. Do you feel sorrow for anything you've ever done in your life? Or has it just been one big party? 
I watch people, celebrities and the like on TV, sometimes in their interviews, they'll say very proudly, I have no regrets. The interviewer will say, what do you regret in your life? They'll say, I have no regrets at all. I don't regret a thing. I thought, well, that's just denial. <laughs> do you have sorrow for anything you've done in your life or where you are right now? You know, I've told you that story. In fact, I shared it in the last season of, of The Chosen, the, the calling of Peter, that beautiful miracle, and he's been fishing all night, caught nothing. <clears throat> Jesus comes along. He doesn't know Jesus from Adam. Uh, just some guy walked along, and Jesus says to him, Peter, I want you to cast out one more time. He reluctantly did it. And when he did that, you know, of course, the miracle that happened, the great catch of fish, that amazing, famous miracle filled up two boats so that they were sinking with fish. Peter, realizing that something happened that no man can do, that this was from God, and he comes to this realization, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God standing in front of me, and immediately he falls under conviction and says, go away from me, for I'm a, a man who is unworthy, I'm a sinner. That's sorrow. That's the right kind of sorrow. If he had looked at Jesus after that great catch of fish and said, well, it's about time. Well, I doubt he would have been called. There was this immediate realization as he's in the presence of God, I am unworthy. And there was sorrow in his heart. <laughs> I have three children. I love them all dearly. Now, I'll say I understand my father a little bit better after having children. And my father would punish me because I was bad. Not as bad as my brothers and sisters, of course. But And if the punishment was not severe enough, he would punish me more severely. And the way that dad could tell if my punishment was sufficient is if I showed any kind of sorrow. And then he would say, I'll give you something to cry about. I know I've told you this before. My oldest, who I love dearly, I think he's here operating a camera, so don't switch me off, son. <laughs> he was, I think, three, he was either three or four. We took him to uh, the Philippines for the first time. I don't think he's been back since. We were getting off the plane. We were walking down this little uh, thing that joins the, the plane to the airport the runway or the walkway, what it was. And he, he was bad. I don't know what he did. He did something wrong. And so I gave him, I know I've told you this, I gave him a swat on the backside, but it's just a little love pat. It was my way of saying I'm dissatisfied with that decision you made, swat. And three years old, I, I'm sorry, one day over three, turned to me and said, that not hurt. <laughs> so I hit him again because I wanted there to be sorrow involved. <laughs> Well, that's the sorrow he's talking about spiritually. We need to have some sort of sorrow for the fact that we don't live up to the expectations and to our potential spiritually before God. We need God and we need his forgiveness. We're also blessed when we're meek. Verse five says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And again, all of these are interconnected. They're related to one another. Meekness means quiet or gentle or easily imposed on, yielding, humble, unresisting, and submissive. It is a choice that we make. It's not a character defect or flaw. If you're sitting there thinking, well, that's just not me. I'm just not meek. Well, 
as though that's some sort of chemical thing. It's not chemical. It's a choice that we make. It is unselfish. Christ may likely have been sharing from Psalm chapter 37. Psalm 37 verse 10 says, A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. I guarantee Jesus knew that verse well. Now in that particular passage, David the psalmist is saying, You meek, you people who are humble before the Lord, you're going to inherit the earth because those who aren't meek are all going to be dead. (laughs) That's that's literally what he was saying there. And so Jesus is taking that and uh, applying it spiritually that it is the meek that will come out on top in the kingdom. It is not that his meekness is not being selfish or arrogant or loud or obnoxious. It's not being aggressive or overpowering anyone or anything. Uh, Rather, it's having a quiet gentle, trusting God that he will provide and that he is in control. Who is the most meek person you've ever known? Be like them. It's hard to be that way, by the way, is it not? Why? Because we're so angry. It makes me angry to think about how angry we are. As a nation, as a world, we're mad at everyone and everything all the time. It's always about this injustice or that injustice or that thing that didn't go our way or that thing that we didn't get. And God would say to you and I, as far as all of that junk in our life, get rid of that junk. Let it go. And humble yourself before God. Then he says that true blessedness is a spiritual Appetite is of a spiritual appetite. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says it this way Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So he's talking about hungry and eating a good meal and being full, but he's applying that spiritually. You want to be filled? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When I was a kid, I went to church every week. Faithfully, Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, I went to Sunday school in the morning and then training union at night before church. So two hours in the morning, two hours at night on Sunday, and then every Wednesday night, I was so faithful. That's because I didn't have any choice. My parents drugged me there every single time. We had to be there. There was never a time where my parents ever looked at me and said, you don't have to go. <laughs> no. The first time I ever had the choice to not go to church was the the week that I went to college. That was the first time. And I'll be honest with you, in my childhood growing up, I didn't want to be there. I didn't like it at all. I had no interest in what was going on there. It's boring. Maybe you're thinking that, I don't know. I had no hunger or thirst for anything righteous at all. The only thing more boring than our music leader was our preacher. So the first one get up and bores for 30 minutes and the second one take over and bores for another 30 minutes. And I couldn't wait to get out of there. I didn't listen to a word they ever said because I had no spiritual appetite or at all. Now, now we're grown up, most of us. Are we any better? Are you just counting the minutes till we can get out of here and go eat? And I'm hungry, by the way. But what he says is, when you come in before God, Are you hungry? Do you have a hunger 
for what God has to offer. Not everyone does have that appetite, but blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Then he says, we're blessed when we show mercy. We're blessed when we show mercy in verse seven, chapter five, verse seven. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Merciful means forgiving, compassionate, forbearing, lenient, humane, kind, soft-hearted, gracious, sympathetic, generous, and benevolent. Mercy is a necessity for us and from us. Mercy is a necessity for us and from us. Matthew chapter 6 verse 14 says it this way, Forgiveness is always an act of mercy. Somebody wrongs us, they don't deserve forgiveness. We give it anyway, that's mercy. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow, you should forgive people as though your relationship with God depends on it because it does. And so is the case with me. We want to receive forgiveness and mercy a lot more than we want to give it. Who has wronged you? Forgive them. We are blessed uh, when we forgive, when we show mercy. He also says we're blessed when our heart is pure. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, the very next verse, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I don't know how you met your spouse. I know that in the 21st century, many people now meet online. Now, I'm not going to the sites, but I've seen uh, stories about it in the news and on TV. And I can do the math. Probably there are millions of people online on these dating sites and you can meet them on the dating site and you can see their picture and you can look at their profile and you can see what kind of person they are and all about their hobbies and interests. The problem is, they say, a lot of those people, none of that's true. Not a single thing. Not, it's not even their picture. They put somebody else's picture on there. They make up a fake profile and it's all big lie. Now, for some of them or some of you who are more honest, it is your picture from 20 years ago. <laughs> But it's technically you. You were younger and thinner and your hair was thicker, et cetera, et cetera. But it's technically you. And most of the things on there are true, but you, you ham it up pretty good. Nobody goes on there and says, you know, I'm a loser and a, a wife beater. And, and you won't see any of that. I mean, I haven't been there. I assume they don't put those kinds of things on there. They talk about the really good things. They, they ham it up. They puff it up. There's no purity, it's, it, it, and this is the challenge, young people, is this challenge to find out the person you're dating, who they really are, and they need to find out who you really are, and that takes time. With some people, it takes a lot more time than with others. The hope is that you find somebody who's genuine, who's pure of heart, for they will see God. God is searching for purity, but it's purity in our relationship with him. It's a desire for God that is not haphazard, casual, or corrupted. 
but for people who truly want God in their life. A pure heart, by the way, comes only from God. It doesn't come from you. If you're sitting there thinking, well, I'm not very pure. My heart's a little corrupt. I got good news for you. God desires to fix that for you. Only he can. David, the psalmist, said it this way to God in his prayer to God. He says, God, create in a, a, he said, create a pure heart in me, O Lord. Even David knew he couldn't fix himself. Only God could do that. Today, do you want to see Christ? And your heart needs to become pure. And that only happens through Christ. And then he says, we are blessed when we're filled with peace. Blessed are the, this is verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Do you want peace? That's rhetorical, but it's a fair question. Do you really want peace? Because a lot of us don't. We want war. We want to hash it out. We want to go out on the playground of life and stick up our fists and go at it. Do you want peace or do you want vengeance? Retribution, vindication, justice, retaliation. Do you want to go out to your backyard and do what my dad did and peel off a switch off of our plum tree and just take it to the whole world? I see memes like that online. This world needs a whooping. <laughs> and it does. But the question is, do you have peace? Because you can't have peace when you're like that. Part of it just is trusting God that God will vindicate. God will take care of everything. God is in control and he is sovereign. Remember that peace doesn't come from harmony with the world. It actually comes from harmony in our own soul, but it manifests itself out of, of us. This beatitude is interesting. He doesn't say blessed are those who have peace in their hearts. Now, it is implied here, but what he actually says are blessed are the what? The peacemakers. I've got a newsflash for you if you don't already know this. You can't make peace with others if you don't have any peace in your heart to start with. But if you have peace in your heart, you're truly at peace. It is infectious. It, it affects other people. Uh, when we seek peace, just not for ourselves, but also for others. And then lastly, we are blessed if we are suffering for Christ. Look at verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to know of all the persecution that's going on in our world, and I always say this, don't you think for a moment that God is turning a blind eye? Persecution is very personal to Jesus Christ because he says it's not really you they're persecuting, they're persecuting me. It's deeply personal to him because they're out to get Christ and they'll, they'll, they'll go through you and me to get to him. And Christ cares about us as well. Now what little suffering we have here in the States is very small 
very light, but millions of Christians around the world live very difficult lives, often under terrible atrocities. Now, I have to tell you, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says this. This is Peter speaking, by the way, the fisherman. Now the apostle, old and learned, wise. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are, here's the word, blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, I guarantee you, when Peter went and wrote that, he had to have remembered that day on the side of that hill by the Sea of Galilee, hearing Jesus say, blessed are those who uh, when, when you are persecuted. Pray simply that God is glorified and that the gospel is preached. So humility, patience, or penitence, meekness, hunger and thirst, being merciful, being pure of heart, being peacemakers, and suffering for Christ. This is the introduction to his great sermon and the kind of people he wants us to be. In The Chosen, there are several episodes in season two that are devoted to the Beatitudes. It builds up to that in the final episode. And one, Jesus is preparing for the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, if you have an issue with the idea that Jesus prepared his sermons, I already told you, first of all, he was a smart guy. But the Sermon on the Mount was not just random, unrelated and unconnecting uh, rambling from Jesus about a bunch of unconnected wise sayings. Clearly, there was planning that went on because it has an introduction, it has a conclusion. The introduction are the Beatitudes. Do you remember what the conclusion is? The conclusion is at the end of it, he says, if you take these words to heart, you're like a guy who builds a house on a rock. But if you don't remember any of this that I'm saying, you just dismiss it. You're like a guy who builds his house on the sand and when trouble comes, all of his doctrine just goes away. That was his conclusion. And then he had those three main points throughout. And so in this one episode of The Chosen, we don't know how Jesus came about it. In, in, they, in this episode, they, they imagine that he actually is using Matthew, who was a smart, educated guy, to write down his sermon for him. And Jesus is thinking and has been thinking about the introduction to the sermon. And so I really like this. And, and um, uh, he he uses his own disciples to come up with the Beatitudes in the series, and I think that's probably pretty true. He saw the behavior of his disciples, where they were earnest and where they weren't, where they did well and where they weren't doing well. He also saw the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and that impacted his introduction as well, the Beatitudes. And so um, uh, it was an interesting event. So in this meeting with Matthew, he comes and meets with Matthew he, that you're about to see. He sees the Sermon on the Mount and particularly the Beatitudes as a guide, a spiritual roadmap to get us from where we are to where we need to be in relationship with God. He sees his disciples as an example of all that we struggle with and what we all need. I want you to notice that this map, this guide for the Beatitudes is not 
based on something on paper. It is based on people. In fact, as he's going through the Beatitudes, he, he talks about people. He doesn't just say be meek. He said, blessed are the meek. And, and on and on and on he goes. Blessed are the merciful. It doesn't just say just be merciful. Blessed are the merciful. But then there's this point in the Beatitudes where he starts saying, he starts talking about people. He starts saying you. He's actually in this Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching to the disciples and he's teaching them. And he says, when people persecute you and say bad things about you, that was a deeply personal time that he's sharing with the disciples. Watch this brief clip. Matthew. Matthew. Bye-bye. I've got it. <clears throat> the opening? Yes. What is it? A map. The what? Directions. Where people should look to find me. Okay. Give me a moment. <clears throat> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Yes, but how is it the map? If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. And then? 
You are the salt of the earth. If the people of Azel desire to come to Christ, we are the people they should look for. We should have these qualities that draw them to God and not away from God. The Beatitudes are about people, the kind of people God wants us to be. Humility, penitence, meekness, hungry and thirsty for righteousness, being merciful and pure of heart, being peacemakers and being willing to suffer for Christ. This is the guide that brings people to God. Pray with me. Fathers, we come to you today. We want to acknowledge to you our spiritual poverty, our desperate need for you. In the face of all the lies this world offers, the false deities that have always been offered, money or fame or whatever, you're still here. And in the midst of all that falsehood, your son stands and calls us to him. Forgive us for those times that we are unworthy and that we don't model you very well. I pray, Father, that right now, in the name of Christ, you would put a hunger and thirst in our hearts for you that we would long for you and desire you more than anything else. Father, for all of us, there are probably specific beatitudes where we struggle the most. Some of, us, some of us are not peacemakers. We're troublemakers, honestly. We cause more strife than we do uh, helping to calm down quarrels and fights with our family, with our friends, we're online, we're always quarreling. Help us to be peacemakers. Some struggle with meekness and we're so proud. We're so full of ourselves. We marvel in our own accomplishments and what we've done, our own skills, and we give ourselves too much credit we don't remember that we are helpless before you and without you. That our lives, regardless of what houses we own or cars or careers or anything else, our lives have come from nothing and they will go to nothing without you. They will have no purpose and no impact in this world apart from you. There are people that we revere in this world as though they are truly great when the only thing they did was make a cell phone or a better car. And we call that amazing. Forgive us for those distractions. Help us to realize that whatever there is that could be called greatness in our life is a person named Jesus Christ and him alone. Prepare our hearts to revival right now, Father. Humble us before you. 
right now. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you? Wherever you are in your life and wherever you're doing well in the Beatitudes and wherever you're struggling, that you just be honest with God right now. Don't live in denial. Be honest. God already knows. He knows your deepest thoughts. He knows your every flaw and your greatest strengths. And he loves you anyway. Would you be willing to come to him right now? For some of you, you've never surrendered to Christ. You've never humbled yourself to the point of saying, I renounce myself and I receive Christ as my Lord. I'll submit to him. And this is the hour of your salvation. You want to come to him. I challenge you to come down and say, Pastor, here in just a moment, Pastor, I would like to give my life to Christ. Maybe God is calling you to just come and kneel and say, God, help me with this area. Help me to be more meek. Help me to be more forgiving. Help me to model this roadmap and be a guide for others that draws them to Christ. Put that meaning in my life. Maybe God has called you or your family to join with First Baptist Church. You want to serve him faithfully here. Just come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. If God is leading right now, this invitation is for you. No one's looking around. As you continue to pray, would everyone stand? And as you stand and as you pray, right now, you come.